Welcome to Badgedamia, a podcast so educational two professors could be hosting it. Hi, I'm Dr. Danielle Dickenview, and joining me is Dr. Bill Pennyman. Welcome, everybody, to Batchadamia. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Christy Marquezini. No, that's not how you present it. Marquezani. My yeah. phone my phone says Mark Marquezini, and I like to give her crap. So Christy is uh, the Associate Director of International Recruitment. Um, did I get that right, Christy? It was in the ballpark. Well, I'll say it Director out. of International Admissions, but, you know, it's okay. You're the what? We go by the director of international recruitment and admissions. Oh, okay. Well, yes. then the university needs to update the directory because right yes. now they only have right. you as associate director. <laughs> right. I hope you're not getting paid associate director money and you're doing director duties. Well, I'm probably doing like way up high duties yeah. and only Let's getting lodge paid. A but it's complaint. No, it's my service to the university. I'm ah, happy to do. So Christy is also one of my very best friends and favorite people in the world. And she uh, is part of the COVID watching squad at our house. So we're slowly checking them down. Her husband is actually one of my very best friends as well. Uh, but he has stated very emphatically, he does not want to be on the show. So, Well, he's a bachelor virgin. Like this is the first time he ever would even consider watching it, probably because Bill asked him to not because I would ever have asked him to. So <laughs> I do a lot of stuff for Jorge that you can't, Christy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we we won't go farther on that. Been to, Christy? What? How many countries have you been to? I have been to 104 countries and every continent. Yes. That's so. including Antarctica. And I would point out that on the UNI website, it says your territory for recruitment is the world. Like, it's like anything but the USA. So the rest is mine. Yeah. That's so. wild. I bet your job has been really interesting and impacted by COVID. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just everything about it is different. I used to go on glamorous um, tours to recruit students. And now I pretty much get up at three in the morning to go on a virtual fair and sit there and stare at the computer. So, but it's okay. We do what we got to do. I forgot. Yeah. So Christy used to be, it would be like, so we sit by each other at basketball games too. And we'd be like, is she going to be here? And well, her flight got delayed in Myanmar and now she just rolls in, you know, to our house. And she's like, I had to be up at three in the morning to do some recruiting fair. So yeah, we've all had to adjust. So that's my saga. It's a very diplomatic way of saying you're getting screwed in this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's pros and cons to everything, but it's been a trying year. And hopefully we are optimistic that it will be better in the future. And we'll have more international students get to you and I because um, they're important. They're an important part of our community. We do have listeners from almost every continent except Antarctica. So if you are listening <laughs> and you would like a top-notch education in a Midwest location, talk to Christy Marchesani. Marcazani at you and I. Yeah, there you go. Who knew this could be a recruitment activity? <laughs> All right. So we are on to question of the week. So this question, and I will point out that Christy loves questions. I am not a fan of this type of thing. And every car trip we've ever taken, she brings her book of questions. And I have many of them. And many makes, of them. Yeah, she has several books of questions. So it's fun for me to finally get to be the person that's bringing up the question. If you owned a boat, what would you name it? 
I would go with. Oh, oh I can I can start. Uh, I would call it uh, the Big Ed. Uh, so this is a crossover with 90 Day Fiance because I assume that it would not be that nice of a boat because I don't make that much money, but I'd be really proud of it, much like Big Ed from 90 Day Fiance, who is not very attractive, but he thinks he is. We also have a dog that looks like Big Ed. So <laughs> That's awesome. I um, go, I, go ahead, Daniel. So around the corner from where I live, there is a boat named Nutton Fancy, and I love it. And it's pulled by um, an equally fancy camper. <laughs> and I just find it so charming. And I realized that, like, owning a broke boat <laughs> is probably not as glamorous as my imagination wants it to be, but I really like and appreciate this boat every time we walk past it. So I'm going with nothing fancy. Like it. Nice. Well, I'll tie mine into this dating show topic because I will go back to before I was married when I was dating and all of my precious friends, including Bill and his wife, Elaine, really were invested in my dating because I was dating online and going out and meeting guys and the whole fun bit. But they, their biggest thing is they wanted to make sure that whoever I met and ended up with had a boat. Um, you can see how they were invested in right. me and my happiness. So there was this big topic about, does this person have a boat and, you know, finding some of the boat. So in that vein, I will um, go with the urban dictionary term of boat digger, which is someone who's trying to find someone who has a boat. Um, so that, that's my boat name. I, I like it. it. Yeah, that is my only complaint I can lodge about Jorge, Christie's husband, is that he is yet to buy a boat, but I'm working on him. He had a really nice um, inner tube, though, that we go um, rafting on. So we'll, we'll just stick with that. <laughs> I think having a friend that has a boat that you can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, much better than storing and dealing with the boat. You just need to know someone. I've always heard that the day you buy it and the day you sell it are the two best days of owning a boat. Everything in between is just horrible. So, uh, okay. So describe this week's episode in one word. And go. Accountability. Accountability. Ooh. Accountability. I'm going with disgusting. And that's just because Victoria said it. And I just kind of felt like, a lot of the actions leading up to this episode have just been kind of disgusting. But in the way, after I eat at an all-you-can-eat buffet, like <laughs> that kind of happy, like I enjoyed the disgusting, but I feel disgusting. Well, I think mine is in kind of the same category, and I was going to say messy. Mm -hmm. um, this is in um, tribute to Victoria, who's now left us. Um, she's just in general messy. Don't start me with the bras, but just. I'm going to say with that, but even the episode in general, one student or one student, one, one um, person described the house as a hot mess and just the whole like gossipy fighting thing. Things are getting messy. Hmm. How are there still 20 women? There's still 20. There's still like 20 women. Whoa. We're, I, I can't handle this. He's going to roll in like the grim reaper next week and just start like, yeah, but I feel like there's a lot that are still in contention. I mean, when I think about, I think he's really good at making connections. And so that's going to be his like positive, but also his detriment. 
because I feel like there's a lot of really strong connections there. So speaking of him, uh, he comes in hot. He has this uh, monologue where he addresses bullying. Any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on how he, he did it? Any feelings? Chance to talk about your feelings, folks. I'm glad that he finally spoke up. I've criticized him, as Bill knows, in the past for being kind of like letting stuff happen around him and acting like he's oblivious um, and it's not his problem. So I felt like it was good. He came in. He didn't look like the most comfortable with that moment. So I think that he had to step up and do it. So I was happy for it. I thought he handled it well. I think it was an important moment in which he started to establish boundaries and then hold himself to it in a way that I appreciated. So part of that, he pulls Anna aside, who um, like right before she gets pulled aside, her and MJ are like scheming on how to not get in trouble, which reminded me, and you both have siblings, um, of when my sisters and I would do something and we thought my parents were catching on to it and we'd like get into a huddle and be like, listen up, you don't say shit. Like you, if they ask, it was like that when we came home. Uh, so then he pulls Anna aside, basically um, to her credit, she fesses up. Uh, I rewatched it last night and she did say, yeah, it was really dumb. And then he sends her home. Any thoughts on that? How do we feel about her going home? Yes. Yes. Go home. Uh, toodles. Right. Um, I was, I was glad that she fessed up, but I also the whole time I was like, well, wait, did you just make this up? Like, did you even hear this? It, it just sounded like she was like, oh, this like unfortunate thing came out of my mouth. And then she made some comment too, I think right before everything goes down that she's like, oh, with the new girls here, I finally feel like I'm on top of someone. Where, you know, like this moment in which she just like really is acknowledging her recognition of the hierarchy and her intentional climbing of the ladder, if you will. Well, and I was really struck uh, how the guilty parties were most annoyed that they had been called out. They didn't feel bad. I didn't think they were really that sorry. They were just like, who, who said this? Who told on us? Like they were just really annoyed um, that they had been found out. And I thought that was really their true colors. Um, yeah. So she gets, oh, go ahead, Danielle. Well, the only thing that I was a little bit confused about is there's some people now, I guess there's like 20 of them. So maybe you do not necessarily know. Maybe you don't know everything that's going on in the house, but there were some people that I think are pretty observant and bright that did say, wow, I was really oblivious that this was going on. And it does, it did make me wonder how the filming and editing and scripting of this has impacted our perception of it. So I just kind of wanted to take note of that because we heard them say a lot of the awful things that they get called on. So like, I know that it happened, but I was also kind of shocked that there were girls in the house that were like, Oh, the, yes. there's tension in the house. Serena P look, was seemed oblivious. And I kind of was like, man, I wish I could go back and watch and see if she was in any of the shots where they said it. Cause I think she was, um, but maybe she didn't perceive it as being as mean as, you know, sometimes somebody says something and you're like, 
didn't seem mean to me, but then another person really takes it to heart and it hurts their feelings. So speaking of oblivious, uh, Victoria then gets pulled aside and she seems totally unaware that she has done anything wrong. Do you guys think that she is that oblivious or is she like just being willfully obtuse, like pretending like she doesn't know? I can't get a read on her. I'm very sad she's gone because I really enjoyed her. But yeah, there's a lot there. Thoughts? I was ready for her to go. I had had enough of the queen. Um, I've always thought that she is playing a part. I think I even looked up online to see like what people were saying. And there's some speculation that she's like an actress. which I don't know if that's true. But um, just I think that she is playing a part. It's drama. It's, you know, this whole thing to get attention. And this was her last hurrah. And she had to make it big. This like shot of her, um, where it's like she's setting, uh, sitting on a stoop or something. And the shot's kind of from behind her. And she's like, well, he can't marry anyone else. I'm the only <laughs> woman for him. And then I like love the cut when they're like, when she's like, he doesn't need drama, which is why he needs a queen like me. <laughs> you're like, what? Like, it is so over the top that it feels, it feels scripted. It does feel like she could be a paid actress, right? But there's also something about it that makes you feel like maybe she's awful too. <laughs> she's delusional and awful. Maybe. Um, I wondered if he was going to send her home in their little one-on-one -on -one and the producers were like, hold her till the rose ceremony because we want people to see her walk off. It's going to create drama. Um, so that puts us to the rose ceremony. She gets sent home. And, um, and in honor of her leaving, I have some of my favorite quotes from the show, if you all will indulge me, uh, from this episode. Katie over me, are you blind? Katie is disgusting. We have known that for weeks. Next quote. I'm actually kind-hearted, fun, hardworking, loyal. I'm actually the most loyal, and I am not fake. Matt is not my queen. I am still the queen. Matt is a jester. Final one. The house will be so sad I left. I brought so much joy. <laughs> Poor yeah. one, homie. So I have a question for you, Christy. When you were looking up some of the speculation about Queen Victoria being a paid actress, is part of that speculation also because she's coming across so differently in interviews? Well, they were just talking about, you know, she's obviously a scene stealer. Like we should not have seen so much of Victoria. I would guess that everybody who's watched the show, she's the main topic of conversation. So I think some of it's just that she spent so much time trying to get attention that she had other motives. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't there for the right reasons. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, like she was doing things to get attention and publicity and get followers. Um, I don't know if anyone dug into it deep enough to um, examine her kind of split personality of sometimes being one way and another time in another setting 
having a different persona. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I've just, the few interviews I've watched her do it. She's so different. Yep. Both post bachelor, like yeah. after the show you've, okay. I haven't seen yeah, it. She looks different. She looks way better. And she's, she seems kind of normal. She's not as self-involved she, and yeah. Does she explain her behavior at all? Mm. I haven't. No, she, ju- she just kind of blames it on how she was represented by the show. Oh, the old editing thing, right? Yeah. You took, they took it out of context. <laughs> like when Matt asked her and she was like, he's <laughs> like, I heard you called her a hoe. That was taken out of context. In what context do you call a woman a hoe and it's okay? And she just like had this blank stare. Like, yeah, that was a great moment. I really appreciated Matt in that moment because to that quickly kind of pull that comment back, you're like, yep, thanks. You, you could tell he had had enough. When they sat down to talk, he was just like, the look on his face was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, you're not, I felt like both Anna and Victoria, this was convenient for him because he could send him packing. Yeah. I'm not sure this is what he signed up for. Um, I think he's a little in over his head as far as this. So I think he does need to get less women in the house, get focused. So I think this might maybe is a good turning point. Although obviously there's still some trouble brewing. Good setup. The rose ceremony. He starts sending people home. Obviously not enough. Uh, Victoria goes home. Long live the queen. Anna, the teeth talker, went home. Um, Lauren, who is the lawyer from Florida. Um, Mary or Mari, uh, the marketing director from Maryland. Uh, and then Catalina from uh, Miss Puerto Rico. Any, any words on the dearly departed? I felt like Serena should have got sent home, not Serena P, but the other Serena and they should have kept Victoria, but that's my thing. <laughs> Just, I I want the drama. Uh, but we have extra credit from Danielle now. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about mean girls and some research on mean girls. And I'm going to expand a little bit on that. Um, but for people that maybe didn't listen to that past episode, Um, The concept of Mean Girls is not that old of one. People have been acting mean for a while, but like calling people Mean Girls um, really came about in the early 2000s with um, Rosalind Wiseman's book, Wannabes um, and Queen Bees, or Queen Bees and Wannabes, excuse me. And basically it was this idea, hey, women are just as aggressive as men. They just express that they communicate that aggression in a different way. So um, kind of thinking about it this week, I came across a really interesting article called They're Not Mean Girls If They Are Adult Women, Reality Television's Construction of Women's Identity and Interpersonal Aggression um, by Steve Downing. And um, what's really interesting about this piece for me Well, there's a lot. It's a really great article. I recommend if you can track it down to read it. Um, But it was talking a lot about romance, reality TV, and gender typologies and stereotypes. And, you know, as you can probably guess just from watching, that there's a lot of ways that there are these stereotypes. 
um, especially tied to gender that kind of play out through, through these types of television shows. Um, but what was sort of interesting is the way that they talked about emotional economy or this idea that expressing emotion in, in particular ways is an important way to establish authenticity for both reality TV shows, but also for the identity of the person that's cast in that role. So when people are emotional, we tend to assume if we see someone cry on a show or when they do the little confessionals, audience members, even if you know that it's scripted, things like that, we tend to see those extreme displays of emotion as more authentic. Oh, that's genuine. You know, so whether that's someone crying because they're upset or whether that's, you know, Victoria, you know, having an extreme reaction because it is like when she walked away because she was so mad when, you know, um, a couple of the girls were talking to her, we might see that like, oh, that was a genuine response because it seems so quick and raw and emotional that we don't think of that as possibly performed, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that that, one of the other things that they talk about in this article is that while we see mean girls when they're younger and we see this as a problem, Mean Girls is also sort of the strategy, both social and emotional capital in certain ways for women on these shows to assert dominance over other women, thereby enhancing their ability to acquire the male partner, if you will. And so obviously you see that backfire, right? He sends them home. So it like doesn't work. Um, what becomes kind of interesting to me is with this article, um, think it kind of talks about how then these women are sort of like deviant women. They're bad women, right? Mm -hmm. um, and because they're not performing femininity quite the way that we want them to. And so I did find it really interesting that the next thing to happen after Victoria goes home is a date with Rachel. And it's like this princess date where he buys her these beautiful things and dresses her up. And she is saccharine sweet. You know, she is not going to curse like Anna did. She's emotionally more. more <laughs> so what you sort of see is this like reestablishing of like, the good femininity sort of takes control again. Um, and I just think that that's really interesting, but you should check out this article. Um, I'll say the title again, they're not mean girls if they're adult women. <laughs> um, and that's by Stephen Downing. So um, it's a great article. I like it. So can I ask a question? Is that allowed as a guest? Yeah, you're so, the guest. We just oh, I know. you back on if you break rules. So oh, okay, all right, or you'll just mute me. Yeah. So, um, so Danielle, do you then think that there is a double standard after watching The Bachelorette and the group of men vying for her, and then watching The Bachelor and the group of women as far as how the the men are judged compared to the women are judged? 
with their assertiveness and their, um, you know, how they speak up? Do you think that there's a double standard? I think that there's a lot of similarities and probably more similarities than there are differences. That being said, I do think that sometimes the way that audiences respond to things is different. Um, There is like a lot of research, for example, that men gossip as much as women, but we don't recognize men engaging in that kind of conversation as gossip. Um, We might even consider it, let's say if it happens in the workplace, productive work talk. Mm. Um, And so we tend to, if you'd analyze that speech, it's very similar sorts of speech, but the way that we code it as listeners is different. Um, I One of my least favorite things about the show, I like lots of things about the show, but one of my least favorite things is sort of the power dynamic. I um, mean, this article talked about it a little bit that people that have been on the show don't really feel like they're in a relationship where like you're making decisions about the relationship together. It's the bachelor or the bachelorette making that decision, which I think is part of the reason I like bachelor in paradise the most is because it does feel like a more joint and equal decision about whether they stay together or not, where there is this imbalance in these shows. I like the drinking and the uninhibited sex most about Bachelor in Paradise. But so, Dr. Marchesani, Marchesani, I have a question for you. Since you are kind of the cultural expert here, would this be any different in any of the cultures you've traveled to? Like, do, do women, how they vie for, and you may not know this, so feel free to be like, you're asking me a question. I have no idea, Bill. Um, do women have different rules in different cultures about that? Like how they can vie? Uh, obviously in America, it's much, it's very, you know, women kind of have the spot that they need to be in. Sure. I mean, there's this huge spectrum when you look at the world. I mean, you're obviously dealing with a lot of countries where women don't have a lot of say and some countries that don't have any say as mm-hmm. to, um, you know, their mate or how, you know, they control of their body and that type of thing. And then you have a, the whole spectrum up to a more Western um, approach, which is where women are more vocal and active. Um, I think not entirely, but I think the Western culture is a little more direct. I think that there's other cultures where there are kind of known to be a little less direct in their communication. Um, it's much more typical to like speak around things than speak at things. Um, I've experienced that when I've traveled and asked a question and got an answer. And of course I thought that was a direct answer. And then later I found out, oh yeah, they were just saying what I thought, what they thought I wanted to say. Like, you know, I ask, is my taxi almost here? Yes, it's almost here, ma'am. And then, you know, 30 minutes later it comes. So, you know, like, I think that there's some cultures that are more direct in communication that are other than others. And there could be pros and cons to that. Um, but I think that that kind of impacts um, when we're looking at this situation how the women are much more apt to kind of get their feelings out there, especially when they're in a competition, right? Like if you're not competing, it's, it doesn't matter, but at this point it does. We got way deep on that one. Go us. We went full professor on that. Boom. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, and also Danielle perfectly set up our segment into the next one. Rachel goes on the date. Um, every man's dream to, watch a woman try on clothing and comment on how good they look. Um, 
any thoughts on that? I, I, I have one. I have a thought when he pulled out the shoes, I'm calling bullshit. He did not pick those shoes out. And like, I think these would just look better. His buddy who I'm not sure if it was his friend was like, these shoes match with this. You're going to give them to her at this point, which is fine. Way to go wingman. But I just feel a little lied to. Well, and the fact that she teared up and he seemed very happy with himself in that moment, it was all a lot. He's living a lie. Yep. I think that what's interesting is this like type of date isn't uncommon on this show. Mm -hmm. And so people must want this, (laughs) right? This idea that whoever is the bachelor, I think they do it on the bachelorette too, kind of pampers Mm -hmm. the person. And I've, and then they walk out with all these bags, you know, and then the other women are jealous. Um, And it's just like such an interesting pretty woman moment. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you, you wonder like, is Matt James having a good time here? Like, what do you get to talk a lot while you're doing this? Like, what is it that is relationship forming about this? Yeah. Well, I did think it was interesting because later on she talks about how, you know, she's always been very insecure and doesn't feel like she deserves things, deserves things. So maybe there's that tie, like, okay, we're building her up. We're making her feel beautiful and wanted and cared for and all of that stuff. I kind of get that. Um, And maybe it fit with who she was and helped her to come to terms with that. I don't know. It, it was in some ways sweet, but in other ways, uh, I think it was a little over the top. Still at the point in the relationship where he's like, pretending he's interested in stuff, which I think we all do. Like when you, you really like somebody and you're like, Oh, I love sex in the city. Whoa. Like I, football's awesome. Like I said to my husband, like, what if these guys, like a guy who's a bachelor is not romantic or at all. And then he gets off the bachelor and whoever was dating him was used to these like big dates that were fancy and gifts and fireworks and a country music singer, you know, like whatever the whole shoot and bang. And then he's like, Hey, it's Friday. Let's grab a beer and watch Netflix. And they're like, what, what about all the, I mean, I wonder if that's a problem post bachelor for all these couples because they're used to having producers and people setting things up. So there's a pretty good uh, literature base about um, how people misattribute uh attraction to exciting stimuli yeah so i would i would immediately think like this has got to set people up to be like i really like this person and then they're like i really like hot air balloons and repelling so anyone can be romantic if you have like a team of producers and a budget right Unlimited budget yeah elaine used to go to movies and then at some point in our marriage she just looked at me and was like I don't like movies. I don't like fiction movies. I'm not going anymore, which I appreciate because frankly, I go to the movie by myself, but I think for like the first couple of years of our relationship, she pretended and went and saw King King Kong, the King Kong movie. That was like three hours long. We walked out of there and she was like, that was stupid. <laughs> like, apparently that was the point where she was like, you're not worth me. sitting." Through. No more. Yeah. <laughs> I so. love it. 
Uh, so, uh, speaking of their connection, Rachel says she's completely falling in love with Matt. Matt says she's not crazy because he feels the same way. I feel like this is probably the first time he's really like went all in on emotions on a girl thoughts. I think that they've had a connection since the beginning. I mean, I'm a little confused because I feel like no one's really getting any time together. So it is a little bit wild to me that they would that both of them would have this thought but it doesn't surprise me out of the girls that Rachel is one that he's feeling a strong connection for so social media controversy alert again I was scrolling yeah I'm sorry but there's yeah there's something that's coming up and they don't know if it's true from her past there's someone who came on TikTok I guess and said that she went to high school with Rachel. And I'm substantiating this rumor by sharing it. I won't share the whole thing. You'll have to do your own research. But there's something that she claims about Rachel from high school that's a little unsavory and could be, and I don't know if it's an issue or not. I know it has been in past Bachelor um, uh, seasons that there's been some things that have come up. So just putting you that out this there. This was on TikTok? Yes. What if it's like Russian bots? Like they've like, we've ruined your election. Now we're taking your TV. Like, right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, anyone can come on and say anything. Right. So like, I feel bad saying it, but this is something that's now coming. No more election. The Russian farm, like they're now like, well, let's just, let's screw up the bachelor forum. Gosh, like people from high school ruin everything for us. Don't they? I wonder if I ever got famous, like what someone would come up with from high school. Like, oh, I don't. It makes me. It makes me. Ugh. So, um, get done with that date. Everything goes amazing. They go on what I am calling the Green Acres date, um, and they do a bunch of farm stuff. Uh, I'm not confident Matt is a farm boy. Um, he said he was. I was watching him having worked on a farm for five or six years when I was in junior high and high school. I did not, his hay pitching abilities was not up to my standard. Um, just putting it out there. Um, thoughts on the random chores, any funny farm stories, Christy, uh, family's from New York and then they located to Cedar falls. So you are not a farm No, I mean, we thought for the longest time when people talked about walking beans, that beans must be some sort of like pet or dog or something that everyone's walking. So like, we're just, you know, like since after being here for quite a while, I've obviously been on farms, but I don't have a farm background to speak from. So I'd probably be pitching my hay similarly. It was a weird date. I thought, um, yeah, I thought it was a weird date. Um, then th- this moment, right, with yeah. when he starts kissing Piper and MJ's like over the top performance on the date, it was all weird. It yeah. was weird. It's like we're going to get together and you're going to bail hay and scoop poop and and violate a poor goat. Like whenever they make somebody milk a cow or a goat, I just feel bad for the cow or the goat because it's like, hey, you you don't know how to do this. So we're going to let you go and like accost this poor goat, which was like biting her. And they're like, oh, it doesn't like you. It's like, no, it doesn't like being violated by this random city girl. Like 
leave the poor goat alone. Um, so MJ is quickly sliding in as the most disliked person on the show at this point. Uh, any thoughts, Daniel, you kind of talked about this, about her not wanting to do this. She complained about having to do farm chores. I always think it's interesting when they like make them do stuff like this. I feel like you're supposed to be game, but if somebody took me on a date and I didn't like it, or I took them on a date and they didn't like, I would want them to tell me. So. MJ's just kind of increasingly awful. And it's really disappointing because I liked her hair. Um, so like what happens, you know, it, it just seems like she's trying so hard to get attention. She gets it. The, the awkwardness between the girls is really uncomfortable. Um, I, I think I wrote in our notes that I feel like there's like a host body situation here that I don't know if you've read the host by Stephanie Meyer, who also wrote twilight films right but i feel like victoria and anna left and like their souls took residence in mj's body um in case you didn't know this about danielle she loves really strange fiction and i (laughs) i love getting texts from her where she tells me about some books she's reading like right now you're reading a book about a mermaid Oh, I just finished it. It was awful. It was like weird mermaid erotica. It was basically like, it was, it was really bad. And I actually read it because I won't even say the person's name, but a professor from Warburg had like posted on Instagram. And I was like, this looks up my alley. And y'all like, it was almost too bad for me to read and I will read some bad stuff. So actually, no, I'm reading the third book in this like Beauty and the Beast series. <laughs> it's actually really good. It I didn't pitch it well, but it's really good. And then I've been playing Beauty and the Beast songs on the piano this week. And I almost like teared up the words to tail. Like the Beauty and the Beast song are so beautiful. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Love it back on track i've gotten us so off track it's so much better when you're in charge of running the show outline danielle because you keep us on track um griping about dates christy your thoughts if someone took you on a bad date or you took someone on a bad date would you want them to like pipe up because i it bothers me on the show where they go on these dates and they always act like they love them and it's like there's got to be some people that are like, this is not my thing. And then I feel like if you do say it's not your thing, you get labeled as kind of somebody who's not game. Yeah. Well, I'm a bad person to ask. Cause I like someone with game. Like I just, I mean, you kind of know me, Bill. I like to do a lot of different things. I like to try stuff. I, it wouldn't be a dream date to go work on a farm, but I'd be fine to do it. And I would want someone else who would be fine to like try stuff. Maybe if on the third date we went back to the farm, then it'd be time to be like, hey, maybe we could try something different. But I think as long as it's not against some sort of moral value or the stuff, the fighting stuff, I'm a little like if you're putting your body in danger. But otherwise, yeah, I think it is a test to see who is willing to go with the flow if that's something you're looking for in a mate. So for me, yes, I would want to, if people were complaining like this is stupid, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I don't know if that you're the person for me. So that's my my take. Uh, so then, no, what? 
Sorry, Bill. No, that's hey. I feel free to disagree. Like, like when won't you disagree with me? Like, I feel like our <laughs> friendship is built on us disagreeing with each other. We have some differing viewpoints, but it makes it um, yeah. fresh and exciting. Like grottos, not a fan. I don't know why anyone would the, go to him. Yeah, yeah, that's why we could never get married. He doesn't like grottos. <laughs> so. Um, so Abby and Matt sit down, um, and they have a talk about her. Uh, so she has a, she, she's deaf. Um, and it it appears to be genetic because she said that if she had kids, they would likely, uh, be deaf. Any thoughts about that conversation? Um, I thought it was interesting and I thought it was one of the more real conversations that people have, you know, when they talk about having kids. I guess, you know, my, My thought is that that would be a really difficult conversation to have. And especially because I do think that their time together has been limited. They, mm-hmm. they had a connection kind of right at the start. I think she got the first impression rose um, right at the beginning, but then you haven't seen much of her and definitely haven't seen much of her and Matt since then. So I think it would, feel really vulnerable to have to put that out there. But I also do think that that's a important way for her to sort of test his response to things. And he didn't really acknowledge it. Yeah. He, yeah. Cause he he talked about the parent. Yeah. Yeah, He kind of matted it. Like he picked on what he wanted to do and didn't talk much about her. Um, Christy, you were going to say something. Well, going to what Danielle said, I mean, he did kind of validate it, though, by giving her the rose. Mm. And in a way, without kind of saying so much in words, he kind of said, I still am wanting to, you know, get to know you. And that's not a barrier to our relationship. So I kind of felt like he he did give her maybe what she was looking for. She looked happy. So, <laughs> so I, I kind of wanted to add a little more context to this, the, what it means to be deaf, because I, I think, um, before I started doing kind of research and dating, uh, I did a lot in special education and what people don't understand or what people don't know who, um, don't do a lot of disability studies is that there is a very much a deaf culture. Um, and so if you're thinking about how many people in the U S are deaf, about one in 1000 babies are born deaf, um, Number one disability, uh, birth disability in the U.S. About twelve out of one thousand people under eighteen are born are, are deaf, and then about two point two per one thousand Americans are deaf. Um, about four thousand uh, new cases of deafness a year in the U.S. Um, about four hundred types of deafness are hereditary. Um, so when she said, you know, there's a chance my child would be born deaf, that's what she's talking about. So they are born deaf. Um, and about 50% of deafness in children, um, is, uh, oh, I can't read my handwriting hereditary. So about 50% of children who are deaf, it's due to her hereditary stuff. Um, she has a cochlear implant and I don't know if people know what that is. So it is an implant that they put back on the bone in your ear. And it allows you to hear what's going on by vibrating on that bone. Um, About 58,000 adults have it and about 38,000 kids have it. Uh, It is fairly new. And so a lot of people think, well, why wouldn't you just get this? Well, it's not a, it is not a silver bullet. You have to relearn how to talk if you had it. If you are born deaf, 
you never have heard speech. And so you have to relearn how to do that. So if you think about this for years, people who were deaf had to find ways to communicate. And so this culture sprung, sprung up around it where they used American sign language. Um, there were deaf communities. Uh, people lived and worked together that were deaf because they could communicate. Um, and so there is this headway that is happening now in the US where people who are deaf are very proud of that culture and what they've created. And there is concern that if you start giving children who are deaf cochlear implants, they are going to lose their culture. And so I don't know if this is what happened to Abby, but she said, once I got my cochlear, my dad kind of abandoned us. If it's hereditary, I was wondering if that has something to do with it. And there are families that end up being um, separated or torn apart because one parent wants to give a cochlear implant. The other parent says, no, I want them to communicate with me via sign language. I don't want to lose this connection with my child. You know, this is part of me. I gave this deafness to them and it is not a disability. It is like having green eyes um, to them. And so um, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Also, people will say, well, can't you just lip read? can't you use subtitles um, on TV? And that is not a panacea. That's not something that lip reading is very hard, but ASL is a very easy way to communicate and people who do it, that's how they build their culture. Um, and so that's something that I think when she was talking to Matt, maybe he missed was that he was saying, I have this culture as much as Matt is saying, I'm a uh, black male. She's saying, I am a person who is deaf and this is part of my culture. And I wonder if he kind of missed that point. So if you're looking for a really interesting movie, a bit dated, um, but it's called Sound and Fury. And it follows several families who are making this decision to uh, give their child a cochlear implant or not. And I, you, you really get to see how much it divides a family. Um, thinking about, do we want to give our child this cochlear? And then they may never sign to us anymore. They may expect me to talk to them. And then I lose that connection to my child. So. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank, well, thank you for thanking me. Um, so back to the trash. He then, enough of this serious shit. Um, he then confronts MJ uh, and uh, MJ then goes after uh, Jessenia, um, for how do you say it, Christy? I think it's a silent J. Jessenia. Like Jorge. Ah. It's Yesenia. Yesenia. Got it. Um, so thoughts on that? She kind of goes after, uh, goes after Jessenia. Any, does she have a legitimate complaint? I don't think so. By <laughs> the head shaking. Nope. All right. Moving on. Goes on a date with Kit. Kit's famous. I think that was probably the whole point of this. Um, I have not been a Kit fan up to this point. Has anyone been a Kit fan? Did anyone become a Kit fan after this? Well, you know, go ahead, Dan. I was just so surprised that he chose her for a date. And when she was selected for a one-on-one, -on -one, I was like, oh, he's going to send her home. Right. The reason that he selected her on a date is because he's not sure if there's a connection there and he's going to send her home. And then it, that's not what happened. And I, I don't know. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Yeah. We were really caught in this whole um, 
part of the show because first of all we were intrigued that he spent all day cleaning and we really doubt that that happened yes yeah right he's like dusting and stuff yeah. but we enjoyed that like when and your then, parents used to tell you to clean and you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> shove yeah. everything under the bed right and then just i mean i you know you go from the scene with abigail and like pouring out her soul about this very like traumatic or, or tough you know kind of situation and then you have poor kit who is like giving her tragic story of riding in bentley's and having to like deal with attention and the walls that she's put up it just it felt like really weak to me and the fact that i don't know i was saying that i feel like people figured out that matt likes a damsel in distress so everyone's like okay what's my angle how can I elicit a few tears and get him to like, feel like, you know, like he can comfort and save me. And that was like her approach. And I, I'm sorry. I just, I wasn't really buying into it. Me either. I agree with you, Christy. After you said that, I, I feel like that's been one of the most profound things anyone said about the season is that Matt wants to play the hero. And like, if girls want to get time with him, like, act like you need a hero and then Matt's going to swoop in. And no way is he going to send her home after you shed a tear like, like that, you know? Yep. So. Well, and I don't think that that's unique to Matt though. No, I no. think that the theme, like the show in general tends to sort of make the lead also the protagonist, right? That they're the hero that will swoop in and sort of save, save the tension between the, the housemates, you know, they're kind of expected to be these flawless, perfect characters too, mm -hmm. you know, that, yeah. So, I mean, I do think that he steps into that role quite nicely, but I don't know that I think that that's unique to just Matt James. He's really um, relishing the role. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that you see that with different leads too, who are particularly prone to sort of, emotionally you know like um step you know i thought pete pilot pete was pretty bad like that too that like the women that cried the most got the most attention well and it's probably i mean bill you can tell me i'm totally full of it but like don't you think people are drawn together like if you're a caregiver you might be drawn to someone who needs hair oh. Yeah. Right. And if you're not so much, you're drawn to someone who's can take care of themselves and you both can like coexist, but nobody has to fulfill that role. So it seems like he's a caregiver. So maybe he would be drawn to a, a someone who is more needy. Well, guys in general, too, are encouraged when women cry to do whatever they can to stop the crying, um, where women tend to be much better at asking, why are you crying and talking through it? Um, and I'm not saying Matt is any better or worse than that. But you can see that sometimes like woman cries, I'm going to stop you from crying. I'm going to do whatever I can to get it over. Cause there's an uncomfortableness. So not me. I grew up with sisters. They cried all the time over everything. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the episode ends with uh, Hesenia and MJ receiving a ransom note or a date card, or I, that was very weird where it was like, Meet me by the dumpster in 20 minutes. <laughs> to enter, one leaves. Um, thoughts on that? 
MJ saying she is, uh, I have it written down. MJ promotes peace and harmony. And she leads by example. Leads by example. What does that mean? She doesn't know. I. It's the thing that bothers me so much about MJ is that she will not take accountability for what she's done. Mm-hmm. And it's just denial, denial, denial. And then there's this outrage at the people that are holding her to it. It sort of reminds me like when someone says something really racist and someone calls them out on it and they're like, oh, well, you're just like no fun. And it's like, you know, like quit ruining our fun. And I'm always like, well, or you could just like quit being racist because that ain't fun either. Right. And it's not the person that calls it out. It's people that did the behavior that like need to make the alteration. Um, so I was feeling a lot of that with MJ. And Yesenia, she's not backing down. I mean, she is. I appreciate that about her. Yeah, she's not going to let, and you can tell that's part of MJ's tactic is she's going to run her over. And she even said, as they were like awkward limo ride, awkward setting up their suitcases. And then they're both like strutting in there. MJ's like big hair. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And I, I applaud you. Her power suit on. Yeah, power suit. I, I felt like the outfit selections really reflected yeah. some part of what they were trying to like, you know, get across. I also really liked how they were yelling at each other and they'd clearly kind of come to an impasse and they stopped. And I think maybe they thought Matt was then going to walk and he didn't. So they're like, well, it's right, right back up. And they started yelling at each other again. That was pretty good. I think the next episode is going to be, woo. Yeah. So episode in a sentence or a statement or takeaway sentence, put a bow on it. Own your stuff, folks. Own your stuff. Ooh, that's a good one. Can we, can we make the title of the show own your shit though? (laughs) But I'll like do like the asterisks for the eye. You, you title this, uh, you follow your heart, Bill. Follow your heart. I'm just excited they're getting rid of the riffraff. I mean, I, like I've heard from Danielle, I'm in this for love, for the right reasons. You all should get in the car and go to a grotto together. Yes, (laughs) we will. And it'll be beautiful because I like beautiful things. I want to get rid of the angry and the, all the, Stuff and I want to get to like figuring out where and how we can find love in this. And I think we're getting there. I said nothing like a common enemy to build friendships. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like, like Victoria Anna is gone. Now MJ's there. They're going to coalesce around that. They're going to be gone. They'll find someone else. And it's just how people become friends. You got to find something you both dislike. <laughs> Christy and I bond over pizza ranch. How much we hate it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so that's it. Final words, shout outs, Christy, as the guest, you get the last word, Dr. Marcazani. Um, well, I'd like to thank you guys for welcoming on the show. It's been fun. I think it's funny that, you know, like I have this, these degrees, I've been all over the world, but the one thing that has gotten me invited on a podcast is my <laughs> long-term viewership of a reality TV show. So um, I guess, you know, that's, what it comes down to, but thank you. It's been great. It's been Any fun. shout outs. Anyone you want to say hi to? Well, of course. I mean, Jorge, um, who is now 
my um, companion in watching The Bachelorette kind of helped me prime for this. So I'll, I'll give him a shout out. Awesome. Everybody have a good rest of your week. Anything else? No. Bye. You've been listening to Bachadamia with your hosts, Doctors Daniel Dick McGew and Bill Henniger. All opinions expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the person who spoke them. If you like our podcast, please consider following us, leaving us a five-star rating, and a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please share with your friends, family, and other ardent Bachelor content lovers. If you have comments or questions you would like us to address on the show, you can email us at bachadamia at gmail.com or on the Twitter with the handle at bachadamia. Thanks for listening.